Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Dan Q. Makalua. The Mean Team. Mega Bears Fan. A composite show archive segments from previous episodes that got cut due to time. Episode 283 with Dan Q, Makalua, the me and team, Mad Jin, and Mega Bears fan. Hey, we're moving districts. Leyran would like to see a project that requires a certain amount of production let you move a redistrict from this tile, making it available again. Yes, because this is so dumb. Why is it permanent? Especially in captured cities. Yes. If they've half mm-hmm. built a district, and maybe you didn't want that district in that small city or something. He does later qualify it, and I am assuming it's a he. He does qualify it, saying that you could only do the project for fully completed districts, so no removing districts under construction, Mm -hmm. and that the project for removing the district would have a production cost equal to what the cost of building a district is at that point. Mm, No. If you're taking it out of an AI city, add a value of production to it for the buildings it's put in. No, because if if I'm taking a city from an AI and I don't like where that district is, I'm going to pillage that crap right to the ground (laughs) before I take the city. Because that is a way to remove. Yeah, you'll if get you pillage it right to the ground. Hurry. But I think you should be able to remove districts. They really shouldn't be permanent. Because I don't know, I may have decided to be quite the ass to the AI when I was conquering their cities and I didn't want to keep the city. So I spammed out a bunch of districts in really bad locations and wonders in really bad locations and then said, here, have a pile of crap back. See ya. <laughs> Not only did I did that, I put the districts and the wonders on their good resource tiles. So all their nice cows and forested stuff. That was even an example on the top post. If an AI put a holy site on the one site, you can build an aqueduct. I think there should be a mechanism for removing a district. It's not like you're going to, oh, I'm going to put down my science district right here. And now I want to move it 10 years later. We're going to delete it and move it over there. That doesn't actually hurt you because you already spent way too much production to build the damn thing in the first place. So if you want to build it, destroy it and move it, yeah, that would be well, very expensive in opportunity cost. Yeah, yeah, that's already expensive just to build it twice. So there shouldn't really be a, well, oops, now cost me more just to get rid of it. No. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Your objection was the other way than I was thinking. Regardless but, of what you're scaling it up on, it will be more expensive to build a district later than earlier. So replacing one is going to hurt you. And it would suggest that since you can pillage the crap out of a district during war to the point where it doesn't exist when you take the city, then you should be able to, you know, burn down a few buildings and move it. Cities yeah. redistrict all the time. So. Yeah, I'm definitely not opposed to the idea of uh, removing districts, but I think if given the choice between the two, I would rather see the AI be better at placing their districts rather than give me the ability to move them to places that are good. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Because that makes the rest of the game better, too. Yeah, no, I think the problem with the AI is that it looks at where it can currently put right. a district. Not, it's right now, where can I put this holy site? Not, oh, where can I buy one tile and yeah. suddenly get a plus four bonus instead of a plus one bonus? 
Yeah, it's exactly that. The AI should be taking into consideration all of the space around it. And it should also be taking into consideration other stuff like, yeah, okay, so I can put my industrial zone here. It's going to give me plus one because there's one mine next to it. Except as a player, you look around on the map and you go, well, that's actually surrounded by hills. So that'll be a plus six when I mine all of them. Right or now, worse yet, the AI puts it outside that clump of hills because there is one mine instead of putting it in the middle because they haven't built the yeah. other five mines around it yet. Yeah. So just a question, though. What algorithm do you hand the AI for to evaluate how long it will be until it can get this stuff set up? Like, I can conceive a scenario where the AI sees this perfect future district and it's like, well, oh, God, I have to wait until I can put this industrial district here. And then it just it doesn't put down an industrial district for or, yeah, 80 other, turns. Other things become higher priority for it. It doesn't really have to matter about how long it might get to that point. It just needs to know, OK, this is a really good spot for an industrial district. So I'm not going to drop it earlier in a bad location. I'm going to go for there. Therefore, if I'm going for there, you bump up its priorities for that city to get those tiles. Yeah. At the very least, if the AI has a huge bank of gold that it can use to spend on buying tiles and it does evaluate the entire workable range of the city, it should be like, okay, I want to place this district. I'm going to buy the tiles that make it the best place that I can possibly put it rather than just putting it where I already have tiles and not spending my gold. You can run into problems if you try to give it long range planning based on very variable conditions. Right, because it ends up hanging indefinitely or it makes even worse decisions in the short term like oh i need that industrial district now so i can build units to defend myself from this war that was just declared but i've decided that i'm going to wait 80 turns till i have this tile that's surrounded by hills to put mines on and i get conquered or it could just well, you know wait why are you trying units to build... yeah like right. why are you trying to build an industrial district <laughs> but it won't, it doesn't and that's the problem you have to be really careful with algorithms like that or you will get crap like that happening and yeah, it's, AI it's in its current like state is already pretty bad. It's not like it can't be made better. Oh boy. Uh, this is a long thread, so I'm going to have to try and summarize here. Okay, so it starts off with uh, Dunkleo Stuce. Is that, the, is that how I pronounce that? His name is Dunk. It's Dunk. Okay, okay, yeah, Dunk. <laughs> Uh, You you got my botched attempt at pronouncing the uh, username earlier, but we'll go with Dunk from here forward because that one's actually possible. So long story short, uh, he had a love-hate with districts initially and then came to like the idea once playing with them, but is proposing some changes to them that add a ton of detail and placement rules and conditions under which you get more stuff when you place the districts and buildings within the districts. And... uh, Man, what? <laughs> he wants to divide districts into two different primary types, core and accessory. Yes, core and accessory with core districts that can only border the city center and then adding a food district to go with all the other district types. And then accessory districts, mm. I don't know. The accessory districts have to be adjacent to a core district and a core district, besides the food that you mentioned, are campus, holy site, industrial zone, commercial hub, theater, and entertainment. Yeah. I'm kind of call a few things out there florida base center was purposely built far away from population <laughs> well yes as a uh, resident and, of the state i can uh, yeah. for that yes and of course la would like to tell you that cities aren't dense 
well, let's get away from the realism though and just look at this. Like it's there's a lot of complexity here, but in practice, what happens to your decision making from mm-hmm. it? Ultimately, there's so many rules here that you're going to wind up with false choices and you're going to wind up with do this every time in this situation because it's your only option or one of only two or three options and it's the only halfway decent one, which we kind of have with some districts already. But I feel like this would actually make it worse, not better. Campus being adjacent to food so you can build an agricultural lab, which is plus eight food and four science like and 5% growth. But this, this, I know these numbers could be tuned, but my gosh... <laughs> <laughs> especially yeah. with the placement limitations you're gonna see a lot of samey stuff i would guess yeah i, yeah. I think a better approach to this sort of thing would just be to have more buildings that specialize certain districts so in the same way that you have like the encampment district you can go barracks or stable maybe there should be buildings like that for every district where you get to specialize it one way or another based on where it's located and what's around it and maybe even what other districts are around it I throw it more as in-city, not directly next to. Like, say, that agriculture lab, if you have a campus district in a city that's got a crap ton of farms, then maybe an agricultural lab for that city. Or cows or basically bonus resources. So that they're, But it doesn't need to be surrounded by farms because that's not logical, realistically. Yeah. I like that idea, though, because then you could all you would have an extra layer on your decision making of using the games districts right now without having like oppressive tile placement constraints. Like if you put a city down with the right resources, then you can anticipate that certain districts are going to be even stronger if you invest in them there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, Dunk is very adjacent uh, focused. And then the specialization of buildings. Now, yeah, as we're saying here, take into account the entire city sprawl. Yeah, because the part of the problem is, going back to the whole redistricting thing, is that, say, you have an industrial zone next to your city, because that's where it was, and then you go, yeah, city's getting a little bigger. What happens in reality? District gets redistricted into a neighborhood, or a neighborhood-slash-commerce district. Industrial district gets moved somewhere else. Okay, but you're not necessarily always like jam-packing stuff in. So I'm with Phil on the whole forcing you to only build a district next to another district doesn't make much sense because you're not going to be able to fill back in with neighborhoods, which is sort of what happens when it comes to reality. Neighborhoods tend to end up surrounding the city core and interconnecting all the districts. Yeah, and then particularly with food, it's like, ah, we've got all this food, but there's no housing to go with it because you had to do these adjacency things. So therefore, the food is just spoiling. It's doing nothing for you. Oops. The specialization of the buildings within the districts themselves, excellent. If you want to have an adjacency aspect, that's fine. I don't think it should be, it must be, and I don't think it also, as we're getting at, must be adjacent to a district. It could be, hey, if you construct a campus here and it happens to be adjacent to a river than this, as an example. Yeah. Related to that threat is the terrain-specialized buildings, which was more of, of a general abstraction sort of a thing, rather than a really detailed, specific breakdown that we had in this thread. Simple sum up, give adjacency bonuses for... Other for, things? Yeah. Similar to Norway's Stave Church, where you get extra adjacency from forests, do that more with buildings. Which is kind of what we touched upon already, and this sort of started by M. Runrill. Yeah, this is more the direction I think I would like to see things go, rather than the previous yeah. topic. Yeah, although you can kind of integrate them, but yeah. yeah, you don't have such ridiculous constraints on what you're choosing to do then.
Recorded for episode 290 with Dan Q, Makalua, the me and team, Bite, and ZT Zarish. Wonders may or may not be worth it, interestingly, by a guy with a, a name that's a little bit less exciting than the last one, Extraterrestrial. I don't know. Hey, man, I'd be happy to meet an extraterrestrial. <laughs> you know? Said, uh, so I've always been to building as many wonders as I can, Sit 5 and 6, I'm going to play King, and just now trying Emperor. He says he always tries to build these various wonders. Is my wonder obsession kind of helping me play, or is it hurting me? Like, What do you guys think about it? See, I have a problem, and it's a really bad problem. I have to build all of them. <laughs> like, so, so, you, so I, this is your post. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let no. me then break this down by, do you have to build them all in the same game? I don't have to build all of them, but I must build wonders. Like, they're there. They're one-off. They're beautiful buildings. And I must own them all. Okay. China the owning AI, them, then that's more doable. Yes. <laughs> I, I am China's AI condition, except I'm in a person. I see. I mean, as long as you're being selective about building the wonders, and I know <laughs> I know wonders gives you score points, and score is very important in Civ, and we've talked about this. <laughs> I can't finish this sentence. Uh, but <laughs> you're saying says the best wonder is the battering ram, and I'm inclined to agree. <laughs> <laughs> military units all the way baby i maybe you do need some districts such as the uh, encampment so there you go and certainly owning wonders is quite nice so when someone else builds a wonder and you take it that's a pretty nice bonus certainly could affect your decision on which cities to pursue of your enemies i think the interesting nuance question is i know there's always situational stuff but is it worth building this wonder yourself because if you're building that wonder, then you're not building something else. That is the more interesting question. Because, hey, man, it would be great if you could own all of these wonders because you just go and capture them all. But if you're building them, then you're actively thinking about or should be actively thinking about what is the benefit from that and then <clears throat> making use of that benefit. In the pyramids, okay, you're going to get a free builder and all builders get plus one improvement. So do you just want to be... China and have all of your builders already have four builds, given the importance of builders in the game and also the limited charges on top of that. So if you get plus one improvement, you think about, oh, so then I don't have to construct as many builders. Yep. I think that is worth building. Yeah, that, that's the one that sticks out to me early on. See, when I play Civ, I like to almost role play like I actually am building an empire. Almost to the detriment of victory condition. I want to build my giant empire and build these beautiful buildings, which I will say is Civ Six. They are really beautifully implemented into the game, at least visually. Yeah. Well, I do have to acknowledge the shiny. Yes, yes, I would be remiss not to mention that. Ooh, shiny! But of course, shiny could also be just owning them myself. I don't necessarily have to build them. Uh, <laughs> but I think the pyramids are worth building. Uh, hanging gardens, 50% growth boost in all cities. Oh, yeah. Yes, that is worth it. I would actually build the pyramids before I would build the hanging gardens, but I would also build the hanging gardens, yes. Any of the wonders that give you a card slot like they're straight for it? I think one of the ones that I always found kind of weird was the Great Library. You know, you got to like get uh, to yeah. it. You you rush like the culture to get there, and then you have a bunch of attacks anyways, and you're like, uh, cool. Yeah, a Google Doc that's been set up by a Civ player, Rick Payton, of CivWonders.com. Yes, there is a CivWonders.com. He claims that it is worth having the Great Library. Sometimes I'm not even worth sure it's even worth the frickin' points you get, but uh, sure, incidental, whatever. But as you said, and we've talked about before, by the time that comes around, 
you're pretty well already finished that part of the technology tree, so... <sighs> the only time I've built the Great Library is if I have had a city there, and I'm like, oh, I have the Great Library, nobody's built it, I can build it in six turns, eh, why not? Like, yeah, I've never felt the need to get it. Doesn't it build the library, like, within that campus slot, too, or, like, at the... Is there something about that? No, it does not give you a library. You actually have to have a library okay. before you can build it. Yeah. Yeah, you see, it's so... Uh, I, I wish they adjusted that a little bit, took out the whole art component, and put it in some sort of artsy wonder instead. It's so all over the place, and it's not that great and conditional. I, I don't know if I like it. I mean, yes, it's early on. Yes, you're going to getting a uh, plus one great scientist point per turn, but there is that civic you can run that's going to give you plus two great scientist points per turn. Either as soon as you get to political philosophy because you've got the wild card slot or you're playing one of the other civs that's going to give you a wild card policy slot and you run that a little earlier. It's not worth it unless they move the Great Library a little sooner. And by a little, I mean a lot sooner, relatively speaking, in the technology tree. Then we can talk. They could also move like the tech bonuses you get to somewhere else like farther back so you don't actually have them or – some sort of tech boost for like 10 turns or I don't know, something. It feels bad to just get all the way up there and get like two. <laughs> well, <laughs> like... <laughs> it, 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 it does seem odd to give you a tech boost to a era that you've already passed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's... <laughs> so, <laughs> some of those Eureka bonuses into, yeah, the next era as well. Okay, that could also improve it. Some combination of the two. We don't want to make it super duper duper duper, but it's just not worth it in any respect, I don't think. Okay, Stonehenge, yeah, if you're going the religious path, absolutely. Yeah. Get yourself a great yeah. prophet, by all means, boom. Setting aside the fact, and we've talked about it on Polycast before, if you're going against the AI, you are in a race, sir. You are in a race to get that. I have never built the Stonehenge in Civ Six because really? it's, the AI gets to it first. I don't really? bother. I don't bother with it. Even setting aside the AI thing, even if the AI never built it, I go back to about religion. The religious game needs help in Civilization VI, so that even if you're not going for a religious victory, religion is an interesting aspect. I think a more interesting question is even the Oracle, because yeah, its focus is religious, but districts in this city get plus two great people points per turn, in addition to plus one culture, and seeing as how you can also buy great people with faith cost 25% less, which is something that you're not going to be able to see till you get a little farther down government type right, democracy, that's considerably farther down the road. So I think it could be worth building that. I always tend to build the Oracle if I can, just because my capital will tend to be one where I have a lot of districts anyway. So if I can plop that in my capital, it usually gives you a good boost. Yes. I mean, if it was, ooh, <laughs> districts in all of your cities get plus a woo, that would, <laughs> then it would, yes, please go ahead and construct that. But <laughs> yes, go ahead and construct the Oracle in the city that has a decent number of districts, which I'm assuming that's where you would construct it anyway, because you had to invest all those hammers to construct those districts. So <laughs> it's not that much of a stretch then to be able to say, I've got the hammers in that city to also construct the Oracle. Ah, Petra. All desert, non-flood plain tiles get plus two food, plus two gold, and plus one production. Now, in this spreadsheet from this player, uh, Rick Payton, he says, is it worth it? Maybe. I say maybe only because you don't want it to be that all of your desert is flood, <laughs> you know, is floodplain. In which case, okay, so it's a, it's a points thing, because it's all based on your non-floodplain desert tiles. Yeah. You place that well, you actually have a site that wasn't worth constructing a city, actually worth constructing a city, yeah. because you could have the city grow to work guilds. So, yes. 
Petro's especially good if you're playing Australia because you've already got those outback stations. Things. Yeah, outback stations which are already boosting your desert, so you can drop a Petra down on top of that. That can actually make a really cool little city. I have to ask you, Bite, as an Australian, if you're playing Australia in the game and you don't construct the Petra, do you feel you've let your country down? Yes. <laughs> it is our patriotic duty to build a wonder from the Middle East when we're playing Australia. Also, I've got to admit, if I'm playing Australia and I don't build the Sydney Opera House, I feel also that I have let my country down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about uh, Coliseum? I feel like that one's a, a solid one. I actually like a lot. It helps really uh, deal with the amenity issues that you run into occasionally. As long as you have some other city centers within six tiles. If you're really spread out, yeah. hey, I constructed the Coliseum on this uh, one city on this landmass. <laughs> Oops! Yeah, I was going to say, it depends on the map type. If you've got it where you can have three or four cities around that city and you can build it off to one side and it services all those cities, then it's great. But island plates, sometimes you're like on this long, stringy thing and that doesn't work. Yeah, maybe they should make it a little less conditional. That'd be nice. They've got a bunch of religious ones too that all do various things. I think the Terracotta Army is one I, I kind of like. I have to say, one of the wonders I've really liked is the ones they brought in for the um, Persia-Macedonia DLC. Mausoleum of Halicarnassus, if I'm mm-hmm. pronouncing that correctly. Mm-hmm. And the Apodidania. The Apodidania is really cool. cool. If you're going to have that city that's going to be that wonder king, it makes sense to build the Apodidania in there just to get those extra things. Because like, if you're going to be building wonders, might as well get an extra bonus for it. I also like the Mausoleum of Halicunus because those supercharged engineers can be super helpful. And inevitably, I will always get the Great Admiral that drops two ironclads, and that just gives you so much power on the sea very early on in the game. That is for sure. I like Oxford quite a bit. That's a nice one. Oh, yeah. Plus 20% science, of course, is the big part there. I mean, yeah, plus three great scientist points, plus two great works of writing slots, two random texts. Uh, yeah, instantly, don't even worry about the Eurekas. Yeah, but it's that plus 20% science. So, yes, please construct that in your uh, best science city. Uh- <laughs> River Valley also uh, also seems good, although I haven't play- I haven't built it in practice. But it looks decent. Yes. The River Valley is one of those ones that I always forget about and when I'm putting my city placement. Yeah. And inevitably, my city where I could use it the most, I've put the in the wrong spot, and I'll just be cursing myself when I see it there. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. Valley. You got a lot of conditionals on these. Yep, next to industrial zone, next to a river, and the industrial oh. zone does need a factory. You can always construct or buy the factory in the industrial zone, but uh, replacing the industrial zone? Well... Uh, I guess you could let your city get conquered and then rebuild it, but that seems like a really bad plan. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, Great Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. That one is quite strong. Next to a commercial hub with a market and next to cattle. So yes, it can be map situational, but plus five gold, plus two great merchant points, plus one trade route, plus two gold from every bonus resource in city territory. And so then it's like, okay, so I'm going to have all of my trade routes come out of this city. So when they come up for mm-hmm. renewal, <laughs> oh man. If you have 10 trade routes, it might feel like 15 or even 20 trade route capacity instantly from that. That is absolutely amazing. It's one you can often get on Deity as well. Same with Ruler Valley, actually, because that's late enough where you can get to it. And uh, AI is not so good about meeting the condition for these. So they're strong wonders that you can pretty much have available much after the tech. 
I'm uh, I'm also fond of Big Ben, not for the doubling the current treasury, but your plus one economic policy slot. Although the double current oh, yeah. treasury can be nice too. <laughs> it can be amazing if you build it with like six thousand plus gold on hand. Oh yes, <laughs> it can. It can. Although I would say, wouldn't you just? We'd probably be better off spending some of that. It's yeah, it's very situational. If it's well, I'm waiting X number of turns because the peace treaty. I'm still waiting for it to expire, so I can't do anything now anyway. Then yeah, go ahead and let that double. But you cannot go wrong with an economic policy slot. That's true. My gosh. That's <laughs> true. true. What victory condition you're going for? What government type you're in? Does not matter. You're gonna have to pay for it one way or the other. Mm. Yeah. And you could stockpile money while you're building it, too. Like, if you know you're going to get it, which uh, you often can know that pretty decently, yeah, then you just store up money while you're building it, and you can get a lot. Usually not 6000 That's a bit much. But you can usually get a pretty hefty chunk of change that's worth uh, temporarily holding onto the money. Has anybody played with the Mulsani Shed and tried, like, the cultural victory while at war? Like, <laughs> has anybody tried that? Getting that mortar ability and just <laughs> being no. annoying with your... <laughs> Uh, the Mont Saint Michael. Yeah, that one annoys me because it should be built on the coast, but you can't build it on the coast. Part of that just annoys me for some reason, and I don't know why. Mont Saint Michel is also pretty much like the Great Library. If I have a marsh that I'm not doing anything on, and nobody else has built it, like eh. Yeah, sure. Why not? Extra yeah, points. but it's not one that I would go out of my way to build. We don't make a plan to include it in our wonder building list, but hey, if it's there, we'll build it. It's like, oh, of course, Dan, we know you're going to trash it because you hate the religious game. Well, I'm not going to trash it. It's more about trashing the religion than the wonder, you know, cause as opposed to the effect, but okay. (laughs) And of course, if we're talking about wonders that are brokenly good, then you can't go past the Venetian arsenal with its, you know, (laughs) second naval unit. That's disgusting. Any city. It's beautiful. What are you talking about? If it was just the city that built it, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. But like when you realize it's every city, you're like, damn. That really depends on the map, though. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. On water maps, it's kind of good. I also kind of tend to look at my gold income. And uh, yeah, I could take this time to train it, which would be nice, and I would get a second one, but I can just go ahead and buy a whole bunch of ones right now and rush who it is that I need to rush. But the fact that it is in every single city, yeah. So for me, it's a maybe, but that's only because of how amazingly good gold is, and too amazingly good, I would also say. So that's less about the Venetian arsenal and more about the mechanics that it find, the Venetian arsenal finds itself in. Forbidden City, plus one wildcard policy slot. Oh, yeah. That's cool. That's really nice. Yeah. You're probably going to have a bit of a race for that because all you need is flat land adjacent to the city center. So I find that, yeah, it's about 50 50 chance if I see an AI getting that before I'm going for it. But the fact that it's a wild card policy slot, so it could be economic, diplomatic, military, again, doesn't matter what victory condition you're going for, that is amazing. The fact that it's uh, the plus five culture. As well, I actually do prefer the one that's given you the economic policy slot. Big Ben. Because the wildcard policy slot is probably going to be economic, plus there's the doubling of the treasury. I mean, okay, in Renaissance, plus five culture, something, but it's probably a drop in the bucket of my culture at this particular point in time. But, man, the wildcard policy slot, beautiful. Absolutely worth going for. Yeah, that's amazing. Just don't think, oh... So the AI built that, and so when I capture the city, I get the wildcard policy slot, right? No. <laughs> Not for you. That is another reason why you build this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, get people to come attack you because of it. And uh, actually, if you lose that city, you keep that wildcard policy slot because you constructed it. What are your thoughts on the potato palace? 
Uh, free diplomacy slot, that's probably better towards the end of the game when you actually get some interesting things in that. But the whole diplomacy slot thing seems a bit probably the weakest of the different government slot things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. There's like that one policy. It's like two points per turn envoy towards envoys. And it's like, of course, I want that. Mm. So you always end up like taking the same one. Uh, you can run the other <laughs> one at first, then switch over. Yeah, that's true. But if you have like two slots, then you just hold on to those two, right? Yeah, although they're your yeah. only options for a long time. Yeah, that's so, like so yeah. silly. Like, what's the point? If they're if I'm they're my only options, why are you letting me choose? <laughs> yeah, it does get better toward the end when you've got the Raj and yeah. some of the spy stuff. But well, at that point, you're also advancing farther down new government types. So you're a merchant mm. republic, you're a monarchy, or you're democracy, fascist, or communist. So you've got all those other wild card policy slots, which you could be running a diplomatic policy slot in the first place. Or you went ahead and constructed, say, Forbidden Palace also in the same era, and that also gives you a wildcard policy slot, which could be a diplomacy policy slot. So I don't think it's worth constructing Patala Palace unless unless you've unless you've lost out <laughs> on Forbidden City and Big Ben and you're looking to free up a wildcard policy slot that currently has a diplomatic policy slot, and then you can move that into the oh. added diplomatic policy slot from Patala Palace. Lol. That's okay. <laughs> But people don't really compete for this. So basically, one, right? don't bother with this wonder. Yeah, it's yeah, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it could be better if they have like a better diplomatic thing later or something like that. You know, or just or just some diplomatic policies earlier as well as we yeah, 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 before. better and yeah. earlier. Well, after this, it's weird how many cultural things they've stacked into the back end of this game, <laughs> and they're all kind of weak slots, slots for great art, except for maybe. The Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower is a bit interesting, but the rest of the sort of atomic and modern wonders are a bit eh. Yeah, I agree. They need more of them. They need to, to fill that out a little bit. Unfortunately, they're all so late in the game, you don't see them very often, I don't think. Yeah, when I look at these like cultural ones, if you're thinking about going cultural, on Crystal Redentor, you're going to double the tourism from all seaside resorts. So yes, you do need to have a decent number of seaside resorts to begin with. Tourism from relics and holy sites does not diminish when other civs reach enlightenment. Okay, like I could see maybe in that when that's going to make the difference. But man, I mean, that and Crystal Redentor and Hermitage, you know... It- <sighs> plus three great artist points, plus four works of art slots. It can be, like, that's kind of a maybe, or the Bolshevoy Theater is also a maybe in my head. It's a a really lot of maybes here, or in some case, no. I know you mentioned the Sydney Opera House. It is the most expensive wonder on the map. Oh. And it comes in Atomic. Yeah. How can we summarize this? Typically, but not always, the earlier you can construct the wonder, the better. Yeah, don't don't fall into any traps of some of these looking better than they actually are. Gotta be right the situation. Otherwise, be wasting your time. Recorded for episode 301 with Dan Q, Akalua, the Me and Team, Bite, and Layran. New wonders, both world Ooh. and natural, that have been brought about by the Civilization VI expansion pack Rise and Fall. Clearly, Bite already has one or more in mind. <laughs> as, as we mentioned last time we were here, wonders are my jam. Well, then I will be your peanut butter. The new one. Okay, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just think about that for a moment any way you want. You are welcome. Or don't think about that. Uh, the Emerson Scott Research Station. 
I haven't gotten to the point in the game where this would be a thing, but anyway. <laughs> it's 1,620 production. Hello. Requires the Cold War Civic Research Lab. Must be adjacent to a campus. Yeah, requiring a research lab. Mm. You know, I maybe now that with the base population, right, that you get plus five science for every population instead of 0.7, but still, I'm not convinced on the research lab thing. Anyway, it'll give you plus great scientist points per turn, which at that point in the game... Um, yeah. Are there any great scientists left? Question mark? <laughs> yeah, it was about... <laughs> yeah, the question mark. <laughs> uh, it's Atomic Era, I believe, so... Yeah. Certainly, if, if you're ahead of the game era, it should be possible. You get uh, plus 20% science and 10% production in all cities. That could be good. The fact that it's in all cities... Yeah. Yeah, all cities. Uh, mm-hmm. With the requirement, five snow or snow hill tiles. Uh, oh, oh, that's a doubling, but it has to be built on a snow or snow hill style. And it, it sounds really nice. 20% empire-wide production, basic, with the possibility of doubling it. But how often are you ha- going to get a city that has snow tiles and can work 1,620 production in an acceptable amount of time? Chop overflow with magnets. Yeah. Or maybe if you've got one of the... Um, great engineers? Yeah, I mean, screwing away some great engineers, and you've got a um, mausoleum of Heracolis floating around. Halicarnassus? Yeah. I think I woefully mispronounced the name of that wonder, and I am deeply sorry for anyone who understands ancient Greek. It's a good wonder, but it's so super situational that you really have got to sort of set it up right from the start. Yeah. Yeah, the capacity to construct it, and then are you able to make use of what it's going to get you before the game is over? Or could you just get all of those things otherwise with less time and effort elsewhere? It's it's a lot of moving pieces. And if we're looking for a wonder in the sort of like polar region, to put it that way, there's one further down the list which I think is much better. I could see if you're already late game, putting the just planning a city with some forests, planning this like overflow chopping into it, and just there you go. But because it takes research labs, this is coming pretty late in the game, so it's hard to justify without something like that. You don't have to plan pretty far in advance that you wanted to find a place that was icy, that wasn't too bad of a city spot, and get the city started down there and already have the campus and everything up. That's a lot of planning, even though it is a pretty good wonder. Well, if the city's worth settling, you settle it. I don't know that you need to plan a ton. Just if it's available to you and you, you see this as an opportunity, you can calculate if it's going to speed you up or slow you down for the end game. It's, just, it's coming late. So it's yeah. probably not going to decide whether or not you win. It's probably going to decide whether or not you are winning faster or slower by going for it. Well, looking at a wonder that comes a little sooner, uh, I'm just going to call it CASA and be done with it. Uh, <laughs> it comes at cartography. It's 920 production. Allow you to gain three governor promotions, three great merchant points per turn. Must be built adjacent to a government plaza, but of course you already have the government plaza and you have probably for a little while at that point. All your cities on your non-home continent with a governor. Gain plus 15%, plus 15 faith, and plus 15 gold. So... If you, in addition to not just timing it well, but more about what is the lay of your land? Where did you start, number one? How many cities do you have that are not on your home continent? So the continent that you did not start on, number two. And as far as having them with a governor, well, okay, geez, I don't have governors in my non-home continents. 
well to gain this plus 15% production faith in gold. You could obviously move them into the city in order to do that, but then it also becomes, okay, so if I move that governor into this city, that plus 15% production, what production is the city already getting? What production can it get, etc.? But I think for that reason, all of that production... How long is it going to take you to gain the equivalent of that 920 production that you put in the wonder to get that out of it, to get it for it to pay for itself, and then to be giving you something else? Yeah, the great plus three merchant points per turn. It's early enough that that's not too bad, particularly when you consider now how else do we, you know, be getting ourselves some great merchant points per turn? It's not just enough to be getting that commercial hub anymore. The gain three governor promotions. Maybe you do want that some of those a little sooner to play around with those things, and those would be three promotions that you wouldn't be able to get otherwise or on top of what you would already get through going the civics tree. So I think its strongest argument is the non-home continent, but that's also situational. Not as situational as the last wonder we just talked about, but still situational. Yeah, whenever I was counting the faith in gold a little bit, especially because gold yeah. can be gouged uh, if you've got mm. the the right governor and the right trade routes going in. And I'm not saying you always build this, but if you've got a good city or two on another continent, so to speak, I could see justifying putting this in there somewhere. Situationally, I think it might just be the way my maps have rolled in this game that I've not actually had the situation where I've had a lot of cities on other continents. I tend to land smack down in the middle of a continent, and by the time you finish expanding out, there's not much overlap. But even then... Those extra governor promotions still makes this a interesting wonder to build if you've got yeah. some things left over because there is a cap of those sort of governor promotions. And especially with the loyalty system, you could just pump out three governors and stick it in some strategic locations. So it's interesting one. Uh, next would be the... Oh, I want to say Kotaku. I'm such a good one. Kotoku in... <laughs> Uh, 710 production available at the Divine Rite Civic also requires a holy site and a temple within must be adjacent to a holy site plus 20% faith in the city grants four warrior monks and of course the warrior monks can only be received if the player has founded a religion or if there is a majority religion for the player in this city okay so let's just set aside the warrior monks just for a moment plus 20% faith in this city that can be powerful, and that's not just if you're going for a religious victory. If you're trying to bank some faith in order to get some discounted great people, mm. to me, it's in that city. It's, do you have the holy site and they need the temple? I mean, you probably have space next to a holy site. Particularly, it requires the divine right civic. So it shouldn't be at the point where, oh, I'm sorry, my map's already populated. I've already got stuff around there. And even if you already have something adjacent to it, for the 20% faith, if you're seriously considering this, you could probably replace whatever's currently there. I like it. In most situations, it's if you've got a good city producing faith, it's almost a, like, why wouldn't you build this here? Yeah, religion or no religion. And that's before you get the free warrior monks, which is kind of fun. <laughs> which is, yeah, yeah. that's fun. And literally the only time I've ever used warrior monks is when I've built this wonder. <laughs> <laughs> I already forget their stats. How, how are they statistically again? They got 35 strength, I believe, and they got quite a bit of strength from promotions over time. So that's to make it stay, stay relevant uh, for a longer time. So I haven't played around with them enough to know how well it actually works. Did they upgrade into something? They don't upgrade into something per se, but their promotion tree is unique and fascinating. Hmm. 
Yeah, with its own promotion tree, it starts off at melee strength 35. It can go up to as high as 60. Huh. Interesting. So they'll eventually get outscaled. Yeah, but at that point, they're relevant for the medieval era, Renaissance era, and maybe even industrial era. So that's quite a long time already. Yeah, that's true. It's an interesting unit. <laughs> it can get two times flanking bonuses. If it, can, it can get additional attack per turn if the movement allows. It can also get itself plus one movement, so now it's four. Mm. And then you get four of those, and then you can start using them. And, of course, be strategic about who you're attacking. It's a divine right civic, so there's probably some units on the map you can go and even if it's just, oh, well, the warrior monk's not going to be able to kill them because that's at full strength. Okay, fine, let's give warrior monk the kill here, as it were, and then start promoting it up, and then it can go and kill stuff itself. Yeah. Ah, okay. Say Basil's Cathedral? Basil, Basil. Basil, Basil. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> Saint B in the house. Saint Basil's Cathedral. <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. I know, right? <laughs> I think there is a Eastern Orthodox priest that just gave you some quality side eye with that comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we go. I set that up for you. I get the assist. Pace of cost, 920 production, requires reformed church, must be built adjacent to the city center, plus one relic slot and grants 100% religious tourism in the city it's built in. Then there's bonus food production and culture on tundra tiles and contains additional relic slot. Okay. Uh, it sounds nice. I guess it really depends on what's the religious tourism you've already got going on in the city. And if that's a decent amount, then that it could be worth the 920 production, I guess. And appropriately, it's really best if you're yeah. playing Russia already. Yeah. So what I'm surprised about with this wonder is that it has no tundra requirement. So you can just find an AI building it somewhere around the equator or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think for something that's giving you bonus food production and culture on tundra that, hi, maybe you actually want to build it on tundra? Yeah. Even planes, something, you know? Yeah, we're just going to build it in the middle of a jungle. Okay. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it's the tundra Petra, but you don't have to build it on tundra. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just happy because for those who like consistency, the last couple of times in the, I think, Civ 5 and Civ 4, which have had the Kremlin in, in both times, the Wonder Kremlin has been using St. Basil's Cathedral as its picture or um, yeah. in-game Wonder movie. Yeah. And that's always annoyed me, just that little bit. <laughs> and it's nice to see St. Basil Cathedral in the game, in its own right. Statue of Liberty. Base cost 1,240 production. Requires civil engineering. Grants two settlers. Must be built on the coast, adjacent to land, and a harbor district. Cannot be built on a lake. All your cities within six tiles are always 100% loyal. Eh. <laughs> if you're conquering on another continent and this hasn't been built yet, I can see, uh, see some loyalty bomb shenanigans going on with that. Yeah, or if you're on a map where you're split across two continents, like your early cities are on one, your later cities on another, and then your first city you put down and you build this in it, and then you get pop out two settlers, that could be handy. But uh... well, if you're first on that continent, though, no one's going to really be loyalty pressing you because you can grow fast enough where you loyalty press them instead. And also, yeah, just the shape of coastline, it just does not lend itself to being near a lot of cities. Because every game I've played where I could build this, it's been one, maybe three at most cities that it's reached. Yeah, and just also trying to put it down in the first place, you have the same problem that you do sometimes with Colossus and Great Lighthouse, because it's very tricky to get the coast and the harbor and the land. Especially with reefs now. Yes. Yeah. 
I mean, yes, I was ported into the trap by Drusane. There was kind of a synergy with this and Casa for loyalty pressure, because it's okay, you go and you get those three governor promotions, which is you know, the equivalent of an era worth of governor promotions. You appoint governors more quickly, they're applying the loyalty. Okay, you can shop those governors around to cities that you are taking. On another continent, you construct the Statue of Liberty. The city is yours, so now it's within six tiles, and it's always 100% loyal. So it's applying that loyalty pressure, plus on top of the loyalty pressure on top of the governors, plus just for the lulls, move in those two settlers, because if you're going after the AI, there's probably one or good spots. They still haven't settled. And you can go. I'm going to put that on one side of this part of your uh, landmass that you didn't settle on that you should have, and I'll put this other one on the other side that you should have put on there, and add even more loyalty pressure, and then it's just a big loyalty sandwich. Mm, Sandwich. Yeah, I just don't see it happening. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of wish we could build this in lakes. There have been a number of times where I've had a city in the middle next to a lake. And it's within six tile of a bunch of my cities. And that could have been really handy, especially because it's sort of near the border. And it's like, nope, no lake for you. We've also got the Kilwa Kisawani available at Machinery, 710 production. Three envoys when built. Then when you're the suzerain of a city-state, the city receives a 15% boost to the yield provided by that city-state. If you are a suzerain of two or more city-states, that type, that an additional 15% boost is given to all of your cities, must be built on a flat tile adjacent to the coast. This is fantastic when you're absolutely determined to ensure that you are and remain the suzerain of a city-state. You wish to remain the suzerain of that city-state when you go to war with another civilization that is also competing for you with that city-state. And now you're going to get an additional boost to the yield that's been provided by that city-state. And then if you've got the three envoys, then you could become the suzerain of another city-state. And now you could be the suzerain of two city-states and get more 15% boost given to all your cities. Yes, it must be built on a flat tile adjacent to the coast, but pretty sure you're not going to have a problem finding those. So <laughs> I actually quite like this wonder. This might be my favorite wonder from the expansion pack. If you can't get great Zimbabwe, get this and be friends with two economic city-states. Mm. Yeah, that, that's 30% gold in all your cities. Mm-hmm. And you will always be a suzerain of at least one city-state. So it's always going to be beneficial to you. As an additive incentive in single player, which is probably most of the situations where you would construct such a thing, actually, <laughs> unless maybe in a cooperative uh, multiplayer situation, the AI I don't find really looks at this very much, even though the barrier to build it is relatively low. I don't know. I, I, and it's often, oh, oh, it's still sticking around here. Well, I, can, I construct that in a half a dozen turns. Done. There might be some sieves that just, because of the way the AI pathing goes, they build it straight away, but if they're not in the game... Now, the buzzing made an interesting comment in the chat. His comment is, assuming the AI hasn't killed all the city-states by turn 30. Well, there is that. <laughs> yeah. There is that qualification, Boy. but that could just give you all the more incentive to go and liberate those city-states. Mm. And guess what? You can become their suzerain. And for these last two wonders, we welcome back to Civ, as it were, the Temple of Artemis and the Taj Mahal. First, the Temple of Artemis. It requires archery. It's 180 production. You will get plus four food and plus three housing. Each camp, pasture, and plantation improvement within four tiles of this wonder provides plus one amenity. Must be placed adjacent to a camp improvement. So, yeah, that is actually fantastic. If you can line up all of those things. If you can line up all those yeah. things. If you can line up <laughs> yeah. all of those things, because then that could be plus one amenity for each one of those within four tiles, 
Well, you get to four of those for a camp, a pasture, and a plantation, then that's plus four amenities. That's the equivalent of a luxury. Plus, you're getting food and housing to go with it in order to grow that city, which then, of course, also benefits from the additional amenities. Then it's very nice. I have so, built this in some really good locations. Like, I really ship this wonder. It's quite nice. Yeah. The Taj Mahal. Plus one error score from historic moments earned after this wonder is complete. If that moment is usually worth two or more error score, must be built next to a river. Thank you, constant golden ages. <laughs> yeah, there are enough that have plus two or higher error score that, mm, yeah, this is worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can dig yourself out of a dark age and heroic age and then sit there with golden age, golden age, golden age to the end of the game from that. It must be built next to a river. Eh, okay. Probably, that's a pretty low requirement. <laughs> I guess you can do that. <laughs> yeah, if you can find river cities, they're usually pretty high priority settlements anyway. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, you would think. <laughs> usually. 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 <laughs> One of the interesting things with the Temple of Artemis and the Taj Mahal is that they're historically, if we go back through past Civ games, there's only really like three other wonders that you will tend to find in the game. So we're missing the United Nations, we're missing the Temple of Zeus, and we're missing the Globe Theater. And then, of course, we have the new natural wonders in Civilization VI Rise and Fall. Oh, boy. Ooh. Delicate Arch, one tile impassable natural wonder, provides plus two faith and plus one gold to adjacent tiles. It's a nice little faith boost. Uh, it really depends on what the adjacent tiles are. <laughs> it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really very, it's like in and of itself. <laughs> That's the key consideration. What are the adjacent it, tiles? <laughs> let's see, the adjacent <laughs> tiles in real trap. life are what? A bunch of desert mountains? Yeah, I have seen it mostly in deserts. So if you're playing Australia and you have a Petra. It's super good. That's actually ridiculous. Elsewise, going alphabetically still, oh geez, okay, let's acknowledge its existence. The Eye of the Sahara gives plus one production to nearby tiles and a further plus one production and plus three science. Wait for it. In the Atomic Era, oh. Um. <laughs> well, at least you get something mm-hmm. for finding it. I realize you didn't have to do anything except find the thing, but... Let's just say it doesn't make me want to wake up in the morning and play Civ. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm just going to throw that out there. (laughs) I mean, it's nice. It tends to just spawn on deserts. So if you're lucky, you'll get some extra production and some tiles. But eh, it looks nice. The the, the thing is, there's likely going to be more deserts around. All right. How about Lake Retba? It's a two-tile natural wonder. It appears as a lake and provides plus two culture, plus two gold, plus one production, and fresh water. And it's two tiles of that. But I've noticed it on the map. It is surrounded by tiles that, oh, hey, I could farm that thing. So I could then turn around and grow and be able to work those tiles and still have the city to grow. But early on, plus two gold and plus one production, the fresh water, that's nice. But my gosh, plus two culture, even if for a little while in the game, if that's all this one city happens to be doing, it's like, well, I'm going to stall its growth just for a little bit because that's going to give me plus two culture. My monuments only give me plus one culture now. That can really help me push through some civics. Mm. That's a decent one to find. Yeah. So it is another case of a lake in Civ Six providing fresh water when in real life, it's a salty, yeah. barren, <laughs> like, it's just like, thank it's you. Oh, all over again. oh, don't worry. Sometimes mountains don't count as mountains. So, you know, you get consistent yeah. inconsistency. 
Consistently inconsistent. Yeah. Okay. That's what we needed. Yeah. Next after that is the Matterhorn. That is a one-tile impassable natural wonder. It appears as a mountain and provides plus one culture to adjacent tiles. Land combat units who move next to the Matterhorn ignore hills for the rest of the game and gain plus three combat strength when fighting in hills. So we have Mount Kilimanjaro Mark Two, and it uh-huh. is bonkers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's uh, pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Plus three combat strength and fighting hills. Thanks. <laughs> the movement is nice, too. It's, it's really good. Yeah. You, you can attack against hills without having a disadvantage, and if they attack yeah. you on hills, you've got a huge advantage. Fine, Matterhorn. Take your scout. Instant map the world. Yeah. Assuming there's lots of hills. But there probably is enough hills that... There's enough hills he's going to go around like he's the roadrunner. Exactly. Me me. That's what we should nickname it in turn cast. Oh, the meat meat porn. If I was gonna get picky, it's Matterhorn. It usually appears in mountain ranges, so the plus one culture to surrounding tiles might not be that useful. But who cares? Because of the land unit hill bonus. Yeah. Next is Mount Roramia, four tile impassable natural wonder. It appears as a mountain. <laughs> Surprise, not. And provides plus one faith. <laughs> Mount, Mount Romeo appears as a mountain. Newsflash, stop the presses. Plus one faith and plus one science to adjacent tiles. That, I find, is usually situated much more nicely on the map, often surrounded by some grasslands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a plus one faith, but plus one science. So I can improve this grassland with a farm, or perhaps there's already a resource on it, <laughs> for example. Hey, you know, maybe it's a... I don't know, some rice on it or something like that. Oh, okay, it's adjacent to it, and now it gives me plus one science as well. Nice. On that one little spot in the middle, if you're building a... Holy site. Holy site. Yeah. Oh, boy, do you get some adjacency. Especially if you're playing as Australia, which gets bonus to <laughs> breathtaking tiles, which that tile <laughs> is going no, to be breathtaking. It's very breathtaking. Plus nine. That's going to be amazing. Oh, also, it's just beautiful. Yeah. I've never not seen it being in a picturesque spot in the game. So you're more, yeah, you're more likely to find it, and more than that, find it quickly and want to go back there anyway. Mm. <laughs> and we've got two natural wonders left. We've got the Upsnar Hollow. It's uh, four tiles, appears as a marsh, provides plus two faith, plus one food, and plus one production. Well, because it's four tiles, there's plus eight faith, assuming you're able to work all of that. Map, I find it sometimes it's in a really good spot to be used to some degree. Other times, not so much. So it's kind of middle of the road for me here. Plus one food, that's almost irrelevant. The plus one production can be situationally helpful. It's the faith that could be really useful so long as you can actually work it. This was one of the weird ones, because I can remember it was actually shown in the first ever screenshot they released for Rise and Fall. And we did not know what it was until I think the very last playthrough before the game went live. We just saw this red marshy thing and everyone was like, what is that? That could be a number of things. And then it just made no sense. <laughs> uh, and when it was finally revealed everyone was like what the hell is that pedia and it's like um the Ubsen hollow famous for its lakes and we're like there is no lakes in the image and then last but certainly not least this is really in competition for my favorite natural wonder actually you don't see it very often at least i haven't but boy oh boy i don't know the daxia daxia I, I don't know uh zd is its new name 
You just like it because it has the word Dan in it. Well, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Denzia. Uh, there's a plus 25% modifier. You're right, Phil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everything's plus 25%. Plus two great general and plus two great merchant points if you own at least one of the tiles. So good. Oh. That is so good. You find that early enough. Oh, I'm sorry. Have you not gotten to the point where you can run that policy card for plus two? Oh, do you not have an encampment yet? That's okay. I just found this. Oh, and by the way, I'm getting plus two while right now you're getting plus one until you also construct the barracks. And also, great merchant points. Oh, I mean, it depends in part where you find it in the game, but both of them are the equivalent of running those two other policy cards that gives you plus two points per turn for each one of these. And all you have to do is own one of the tiles. It doesn't stack. That'd be uh, <laughs> kind of gross if it stacks. Oh. I mean, I know you you only need to own at least one of those tiles, but I'm telling you right now, whether you're human or AI, if I see you approaching that spot, I'm just going to buy those other tiles and I'm going to deny them from you, just just so you know. Duly noted. I'll have to declare on you then. You would declare on me anyway, Phil. That's not... Well, you know. yeah, but this will make me do it sooner. Will that give you a CB? Yeah. You're, you're hogging all of the na- natural wonders. <laughs> That's right. It's the Gaia CB. I like this natural wonder because just for some of the natural wonders, they do start to feel a bit samey. It's like, oh, I'm the plus one of something to the surrounding tiles natural wonder, or they, I'm the salt lake that's actually freshwater natural wonder. <laughs> this, this is actually doing something unique in the game, and I really love it, especially because it looks beautiful. Big props to the art department and Civ 6, because all of these natural wonders look really good. <laughs> to be fair, it should be unique that a saltwater lake is providing fresh water. <laughs> but not quite in the way that worked out. <laughs> that was initially a unique idea, <laughs> so to speak. Although initially with the Ubsner Hollow, I initially thought there was something wrong with the color scheme. I thought the color was like, oh my gosh, did something happen to my screen? Is that a rash on the map? Sorry, I don't think it's particularly attractive, but <laughs> the other ones do look fantastic. There's <laughs> always going to be one that you have slack. Oh. I just got this vision of artist at Frax listening to this podcast and the freaking Fraxian artist that put the finishing touches on this and chose the colors. It just got like this one tear, one tear <sighs> coming out of his eye. And it's not quality side eye at all. It's just, it's just really... I just hope that same artist did like Mount Romania or Romania, whatever that's called, or something like that, that we just spent like five minutes gushing over. So there's like some balance. Yeah. And that's important in a game to have balance. So we're, we're just balancing out our commentary. That's what we're doing. I, mm. <laughs> it's not important in this game okay. to have balance, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> but it is important to have balance on the internet, Phil. Where have you been? apparently i've been in reality i don't know about you though (laughs) oh snap if we wanted reality we wouldn't play games what the heck (laughs) oh it's not a matter of what you want sometimes unfortunately (laughs) support the ongoing polycast patreon campaign collective achievements personal incentives month-to-month commitment for more information, visit thepolycast.net slash Patreon. Call in today. In North America, 301-637-7659. In Europe, 44121-288-7659. 
The only thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. Log on to the series' official website at thepolycast.net. Coordinates are sorted 2017 and 2018. Civilization 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 clips. Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright Civilized Communication at civcom.net.